right now, people aren't given a fair chance. There is a lot of bias. So I feel what our technology is doing is ensuring the right person gets a job in a fair structured way. But at the same time, we're providing feedback and insights to interviewers to learn about themselves because interviewing is fascinating. If you really do spend some time doing introspection, you'll start figuring out and understanding where you've got insecurities. Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way, to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoy the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I'm talking with and learning from Jay Radia. Jay has got a great podcast called The Happy Millionaire. He is the founder of a startup studio called Bliss Growth. And he has founded three tech startups. The first two got, well, three got to a million in 12 months and two of them got to 10 million in three years. So we chatted about his journey and why he's no longer the CEO. He ended up doing a job that wasn't a fit for his genius, that didn't bring him the joy that he was after. His unique expertise is in coming up with ideas that need to be funded. He, he has funded, I think he said 25, 25 angel investments. He does five or, five or 10 a year. And so coming up with the idea is his secret source. And that's why he's founded Bliss Growth, so that he can then take that idea, fund it, find a f- co-founders for his idea, and then launch them into the marketplace. And he's raised over $100 million of funding for the businesses that he started. So he knows how to do that. Ideas and funding, trajectory, early rapid trajectory. So we talk about what are the challenges and what he's learned along the way and how he got comfortable with not being the CEO anymore. So I had a great conversation with Jay. I'm sure you'll love it. My name's Jay Radia. I guess there's three parts to me. So number one is I build businesses. So I've now built three businesses in the tech side. Um, All three have scaled very quickly. So in summary, three scaled from zero to one million revenue within 12 months. And two of them are now gone to $10 million within three years. So um, the third one's on its way as well. So I build fast growing companies. I've raised over $100 million from some of the top VCs. Think of the likes of like Google Ventures to SoftBank. So I've got that piece of me. So building companies. Second part of me is I have a podcast, which is called Happy Millionaire, which is around bringing more joy to the work. So it's two friends having fun and having banter and talking about success and happiness stories. And the third part of me is angel investing. So I'm a big, avid angel investor. I'd write 10 to 15 investments a year. 
And I love that part as well. So those are the three parts to me. Very good. Well, welcome. The businesses that you've scaled to 10 million, 10 million in exit or 10 million is still going? 10 million is still going. Okay. Yeah. And what niche of tech firms are those three firms in? Yeah. So I specialize a lot in software. So that's the area I got into. I've done 13 different projects before that until I dived into the software world. But on the software side, and these are the businesses which have scaled and then different sectors, right? So other three software businesses I've built, one is in like e-commerce. So it's a lot around the fashion and retail side. Got one business, which is in corporate gifting. So helping businesses do gifting to their customers, their employees. And the third one's actually in hiring. So they're all very different. <laughs> How do you start a business in corporate gifting? Like where does that rainy Sunday afternoon and all of a sudden you go I know business in corporate gifting like what's the genesis that or did you start as something else completely different and it evolved into this yeah I always like asking that question I throw my three businesses to people and they always pick one right whenever I meet someone or if I'm on a date I go hey look these are the three what do you want to know about and then you, you pick gifting so I'm happy that's actually my favorite one so I'm, <laughs> I'm excited you picked that one so my gifting journey which is called reach desk that business last year i believe it was the fifth fastest growing software company in the world like we grew from zero to like 10 million in revenue in like literally two two and a half years we've now raised like 50 60 million dollars of funding it's you know used by businesses like adobe airbnb but essentially what happened was was in my first company um yieldify i really 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 struggled to get hold of my customers and my prospects it was so difficult. As you know, right now, whatever business you run, if you want to get hold of, especially in a B2B business, if you want to get hold of a customer or a prospect, it is literally impossible. You can cold call them. You can send them emails. You can meet them in events, but you know they ghost you or they don't reply back. And then what we tried was we started sending them gifts. So think of periods like Easter or like Halloween or Christmas, we'd send them a gift and suddenly um, would get reply and they were very interested to speak to us. And you know we just did it from a nice, nice place, right? With the hope that it may lead to some engagement and we found it worked and it really really did work and suddenly we started finding suddenly we started finding that our gifts you know that campaign was actually generating more revenue than us cold calling sending emails i was like wow god there's something here and that's when i built a business that was my second business and my second software was reached us because i realized this opportunity is huge fab i mean it, you do have to get people's addresses and i guess during covid you had to send stuff to their home address Mm. but slightly trickier but that playing on reciprocity i was just looking on here you, you know sending people beer sending people cupcakes i think so many things cupcakes chocolates on that one so what we did was we started sending landing pages so what would happen is let's say i don't know you where you live which obviously i wouldn't um we just say hey look i'm sending you a gift dom here's a landing page here's a page just fill out your information we'll send it to you so that's how it worked when you do that to me, do I know what the gift is? Yes, or you can pick it. Um, it could be a surprise. It could be whatever you want. Like, ah, okay. So, it, you know, it works really well, especially like let's say you're on LinkedIn and you see someone's been promoted or they've changed jobs. When there's a special moment in someone or what we sometimes even like sending is like university hoodies because that's really personalized. You can even personalize it with their initials. So there's so it's that personalization. From the university that they went to, not any random university. Yes, hopefully. <laughs> not the, not the one they wished they'd got to if their grades had been better. Yeah. Yeah, that would be funny. But yeah, no, we, 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 we do. You know, that's where that personalized is really about personalization, right? If you send that right gift to someone, I know, and I'm sure you know, if, you know, and I'm sure everyone's got this memory, even the listener right now is that that moment when that perfect personalized gift got sent to them and that warm, fuzzy feeling you had, the goosebumps came. Like that's essentially what Reach Us was built on the back of because I wanted to bring more joy in the work at the same time, obviously helping with the sales marketing. But I mean, I now know you, right? So if you sent me something, 
I, I might get those goosebumps. But if you'd sent me someone and I didn't know you, isn't it a bit, couldn't it be a bit weird? Do you know what? Um, we haven't is just, had... Is that just me? No, <laughs> no, do you know what? It's interesting because you do get you do get some people right that are like hey look i don't I, I don't want this gift but with the i can tell you right now the majority they always redeem and they want the gift and it's just there's no like when you send a gift to someone you know the, the most beautiful way to do it is to send it and not want anything back obviously there is a business element <laughs> i like it or not we are yeah, yeah, business we are transactional but i think that the best way we look at it and we tell our customers is that look just send the gifts and if they reply back great right and and we know it does work because you know, we've realized that, you know, we've, we can see the return on investment. Does the size of the gift matter? Oh, good question. Um, yes, we've worked out. Because th- in my head now, I'm thinking about building an outbound campaign, right? And so I'm going, okay, I'm, I'm ringing, I'm emailing LinkedIn. Here's my target audience. Is it proportional to the deal? I mean, the ROI will be proportional to my deal value, but, you know, if I've only got a couple of hundred people and that's my universe, you know, do I need to go big, big gift? Yeah. So, you know, what we recommend, and we only work with clients that have probably got like an average order value of like, say, $5,000 or more. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense because you will be spending, you know, let's say for the whole campaign, including the software, everything like it might be like works out to be $100 per customer, right? Okay. So you don't really like what we figured out is that, look, if your average order value is not above $5,000, gifting is probably not the right strategy for you. But let's assume it is. You know, it really depends on, you know, what if you can get that right personalized items, the most simple one is even cupcakes, cupcakes and cookies and chocolates are simple stuff because it's very shareable. So imagine you're in the office and you've got your team around and, you know, you receive a bunch of chocolates or fudge sweets or whatever, like you can share it. And now you're the most important person in in the office because you've now got value, let's say. But, you know, those small touch points are huge and. Um, so it could be just as small as like sending the donuts, the cupcakes, you know, something simple like that. Fab. Yeah, you've still got sweet tooth now, right? The sweet tooth is probably like watering right now. Sorry. Well, I, no, I, do you know what? I was looking at those cupcakes and going, probably a bit too sweet for me. I'm just looking at, you know, probably too, the, I'd be too, but the beer, I'd be up for a case of beer any day of the week. All right. Good to know. But I, I have to say, I, it's funny because I actually publish my phone number online. Maybe I'm just not in anybody's target market because nobody ever rings me. The phone never rings. But I was, but I was listening to, I was listening to the CEO of uh, Sandler, the sales training business, speak at a webinar uh, the other day, and he said the same thing. He said his phone, his mobile phone rings once a day, and so when he, he when he hears salespeople say they can't get a hold of anybody, he said what they've done is they've they've sent a not very personalized email to lots of people, and they've been ignored completely by everybody. And so this is, I suppose you've got to load in the per- some personalization. You've got to do a bit more work, but get to return. What's your, it's not really 100%. What is it, 80, 90, 70? What, as in the open rate? Yeah. Oh, it'd probably be about 90%. Fab. And is, yeah. the, is, the, is the difference just data quality? I'd say the data quality is important, but more importantly, I feel if you send that right gift and you, know, you can see when a prospect or a customer sees the effort, they appreciate it. Because, you know, I, you know, like you, like I'm sure everyone has had some contact with a salesperson or someone trying to sell them something. But, you know, when, you do appreciate when someone has gone that extra mile and um, gifting is a beautiful way to do it. And so they, they do reciprocate and they, you know, there is an engagement, which is obviously what all businesses and all of us are thriving or hoping for. And did you, is this a business that you started through the startup studio? 
No, so this one I built with um, a team. It's actually my brother. My brother's my business partner and two other co-founders. So it's four of us. We built it together. And um, yeah, it was uh, initially we thought it would be like a, a good size business. We, didn't, we had no idea it could become, you know, what it has become. And how much time? Are you the CEO? No, no yes. so I'm the chair. So I've, I found this magical role called the chair. It's where like you support the execs and um, you're not, you don't have to get into the day-to-day. I found it's the right role for me. Is the day-to-day <laughs> not your, is that not you at your best? Yeah. So I, I was CEO of my first company for seven years and it was a great, great experience. It was my first tech startup and it was my dream. Like I had, you know, I was that classic tech CEO. I had offices in London, New York, Sydney, Singapore. I was funded by Google, SoftBank. We had like 200 people. It was like, it was, I was living that dream job, but honestly, like every single day I was working. And I know there's lots of texts out there saying, hey, you, know, you can get a balanced life and you know there's ways to structure it. But honestly, like speak to any person running a fast growing business, it, you have to be all in. And there was times like literally, like I'm in the evening, I'm with my friends or family and I'll get this message saying, hey, you know, client ABC, which is really, really important or employee ABC um, is really upset. I need to speak to you. I need, is it something urgent? We need to speak to you. And I'm like, wow, like, you know, your personal life just gets forgotten. And imagine if you've got 200 employees, um, just a simple calculation, right? Um, we've got 252 working days. You know, if you've got 200 employees, nearly every single day, someone's birthday. And, I, and I'm quite big on birthdays. I want to give a personal, personalized touch, right? So, you know, I'm probably speaking to someone every day. At the same time, if someone's unhappy, I have to be there. And I know, yes, you've got your people team and you've got your CEO, COO helping you. But realistically, there is so much. It is a 24-7 job. And honestly, I just, it wasn't for me. But for some people, they love it. Like for me, I I'm, I feel I'm more of a creative soul. I really like the exciting piece of building a business. So that's why, you know, I transitioned out. We put a CEO in. But yeah, for me, I, I just didn't enjoy the day-to-day. It was just, I just I just felt it took over my life. Aha. Uh-huh. I think it's interesting. I McKinsey done a study looking at executives. And so that day-to-day stuff is obviously not you playing to your genius. And what they found is if you've got executives played to their genius, they're 500% more productive. Like it's just draining to do stuff you don't enjoy. Like it doesn't matter if you feel it's important. It's just, just draining. It's so interesting. So like one thing that I learned, which I felt changed my life was um, they say, you know, to find your genius zone or to find what, what you're supposed to be doing on this short life that we're in or in the short life is to find out really who you are to the hundredth degree. Like, what are you really, really, really good at? Not like, you know, the classic, hey, I'm good at sales or, hey, I'm really good at finance, financial model. I'm talking about the hundredth degree, like go down to the right to the bottom to the point where it's really, really uncomfortable. Where it's actually pretty sad going, actually, I'm not actually that good at many things. I'm not actually like a superstar at many things. So um, I know there's like these Venn diagrams say, hey, like, you know, find the three spots. But I'm saying go even deeper and deeper and deeper. Go to the point where it's like literally so small. And you know you love that piece and you are special at it. And um, for me, that was the startup studio. There was no other option for me. I could have gone to other places. Yes, I could build another company. Yes, I could be a venture capitalist. Yes, I could do investing. But actually, the startup studio model was the perfect one for me because I wasn't as hands-on. I can still be creative. I can still build you know, for the future and build these incredible companies, work with the right people. But that was my 100th degree. And I feel like that's sometimes what people are missing because they're scared because it is really horrible. It's like you're sitting in the fire, you're like, oh crap, I'm like not that good at many things or I'm only great at a few things. And it was, trust me, it was so painful. I was so lonely. I was like, I didn't know who to speak to because it was so awkward. Like I was like, who am I? Like what's going on? And it was only after that soul searching and real deep diving into myself, that's when I found out, okay, this is where I'm, 
that you know that 100th spec and I just double triple down on that that was you know what happened to me so often I mean it's hard to be really really good at stuff that you're not enjoying mm. you know we had had a number of employees over the years and you just sit with them and say look you're not going to be great at this because for you this is a job and it doesn't matter how hard you try it'll only ever be a job and if it's a job you won't be amazing like what is it you're great at they go no 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 i really like it it's like no you don't you just you don't like it because you just just like yes i like it it's like no you might like it but i'm not prepared to pay you to just be okay at it we need somebody who's amazing yeah but how when do you do the startup studio you're creating the business and then you're hiring in a team or you're finding a team and then you're working out together what what they're going to be good at yeah so essentially how the model works for the startup studio i've created called bliss growth is that i would look because i've now created so much software myself i know some of the pains that i've had in scaling up the business uh -huh. right so what i'm essentially looking for is solutions that i wish i had on those journeys to help me grow faster or to be in a better situation so i'm looking for those ideas so a lot of my day and it's a bit strange is i'm literally just sitting there in my living room and just thinking and i'm trying to get into that creative state of like okay what would have been great or at the same time you know what's out there right now but needs to be um essentially improved because you know there is a lot of software and um, technology out there but it's so mundane and it's like it's grown old right it's not the right it's no longer modernized for the new world so that's really where i spend my time is like figuring out okay what are the right um technologies or software that businesses now need once i then have that then it's like okay who are now the best people in the world to now run this business um, and it's not me. <laughs> I'm really putting myself out, but like, which, who are the perfect founders for this business for it to be this um, iconic company, right? And that's why I'm on the search for. So then I have a team within the studio. I have uh, two recruiters and they will go out to go find this person. Obviously I'll use my network. I'll speak to people and then I'll try to find essentially the best founders in the world to run this business. And then I would then write an investment check somewhere up to um, up to $500,000. So this would be, you know, most of it's coming from my own personal pocket. So it shows that I'm all in on this idea. I'm going to support them. And then the next phase would be to help build it. So, you know, I've got connections with all the investors, with customers. So, you know, also within the team, we've got people that will help build the technology. So it's really a full partner. Like I consider myself as a co-founder, but, you know, I'm supporting them. That's how I look at it. So it's a very unique proposition. And how one, how many do you do? One or, one or two a year? Yeah, one or two a year. So we did one last year, and then we're in the process of doing one more um, right now, which will probably fall into next year. So, yeah, very excited. So what was the one you did last year? Can you talk about it? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So that one was called um, Screen Loop. So that was the hiring technology. So that one really started trading at the start of this year, and we're getting quite close to getting to a million dollars in revenue already within 12 months. So... Yeah, really excited about that business. What it was is that I've now, I know it's crazy to say, but I've been involved in hiring within my businesses, nearly a thousand people. And what I've realized in that process was that there's so much unconscious bias. Like I, you know, I'd ask members of my team to go interview someone or even myself, I'm not in the right state. And suddenly it's like, it's not a fair interview. I'm not asking maybe the right fair questions or the right number of questions. Maybe I'm talking too quickly. So there's so much bias in the interview process. So essentially screen loop, um, there's different parts to it, but we've, we allow businesses to start getting, getting insights on their interviews. So it's a plugin that goes into their um, video conferencing tools like a Zoom, and it will start providing feedback and insights to the interviewer on like what questions to ask, but at the same time, hey, look, you're right now, 
you aren't actually making this a fair interview because you're only asking candidates A, B, and candidate A, five questions, whereas you're asking candidate B, 20 questions. It's not fair. So we'll start detecting some bias. At the same time, we collect feedback from candidates on how to improve the process and also references. As we know, references are so, so important. We've automated that process so you start getting more insights and feedback. So that's what ScreenMoop does. Very good. I, 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 was, you, I see on the platform you're offering interview training, which is one of these things where you know people say, oh, people so hard to get right the right people yeah okay have you ever trained any of your people have you got a decent process and like well actually it's that's i'm shaking my head but it's not true like those people who whether i think where the ceo realizes it's a real really important and has put some of their time into it then i don't think they've they're struggling to hire great people it's the people who say oh you know we're losing the war on talent have delegated it to somebody to junior in the organization and their job ads are boring and the process is crap and it takes too long to make an offer and then they hire the wrong people totally but also i don't know what it's, it's fascinating but i've never actually had interview training myself um, i don't know if you have but if yeah like i find that if businesses that do it less than five percent businesses do it as usually it's one session and you know it's like a quick little it's like a quick little drug hit and then that's it and then you're you know three months six months later you've forgotten what they've taught you so um, I found that quite fascinating while um, being on this journey that there just really isn't that much focus on um, interview training because a lot of part, a lot of it's about listening, right? And no one's even been trained to listen that well. I think that's something that I've learned in my journey or just like, how do you be a good listener? I have been interviewed a few times and you'd be sitting there thinking, this is my interview. They're supposed to be asking me questions and yet they haven't shut up oh man <laughs> they've just talked at me for an hour the worst how have, right? they, how have they got any idea whether i'm the right guy for this job yeah it's the worst um so yeah we track monologues and stuff like that because yeah they're the worst and so worst. what data do you give back to people do you say this is the share of the share of the chat and from an ai perspective you say no we heard you ask some questions yeah so we could see if they're you know using inappropriate words we could see like things like monologue. We can see, you know, if, because we recommend you sh- your monologue shouldn't be more than like three mu- three minutes or two minutes. So we can track that. We can benchmark you against people who are within your team with other businesses. You know, a big, big problem in recruitment is that there's so many stages now. I'm sure if anyone's been recruited, like the last thing you want is like stage 43, right? Like, you know, honestly, in bank, bank finance is the worst, right? So in big, big investment banks like Goldman Sachs, they do 20 interviews. It's mental what they do. I'm pretty sure you could just do five interviews and get the same result, right? Well, Google did a big study and their study was the fifth interview was made it slightly better than the fourth interview, but it wasn't worth the time to invest the fifth interview. So they went, we're going to do four. This is what it looks like. Stick with that because, you know, we hire enough people, we've got the data, we can show what whether it makes a difference. 100%. And like what we found was that, you know, the, the worst ones are those assessment interviews where you've got like three, five, six people of your team interviewing them, right? Like someone's usually on holiday or someone's got something up, someone's gone to doctors, right? And therefore you have to keep on postponing this assessment interview, right? So what we found was that all it needed to do was just be recorded and, um, and you know, with some insights shared and that's enough. Like not everyone needs to turn up. We always found that what was fascinating, and I had this insecurity as well as a, as a business owner, is that I wanted to put the last rubber stamp. Like I wanted to see that person before we make the hire. But all I want to do is just watch a quick video and go, okay, here's some feedback. This is the bit I want to watch and that's it, right? So that was actually, that was something that we learned, which was really interesting as well. And one of the things that 
I talk to clients about is is who is interviewing for cultural fit. I mean, in in your case, it might have been you, but it doesn't scale. And so, or I remember years ago, I had a guy who worked for me. He was, he was my chief marketing officer. Every single time he did an interview, like you know, he'd pick the wrong candidate. He just you couldn't get you give him ten candidates, he'd pick them. He'd pick the wrong one every time. So in the end, it was like, look, let, let's not have you do the interview, right? We'll do it. Make we won't hire anyone you don't like, but that the fine tuning will. So, so off everybody's convinced they're great at it. Oh yeah, tell and me so about do you it. get data out the platform that says actually, you know, six months on, you know, all the people you hired were terrible. Yeah, so this is interesting, right? So what we what we found out was, yeah, everyone thought they were great interviewers because you know they all think they're great at communication, but until we start getting feedback from the candidates that's when they realize, okay, wow, I do need to improve. That's really important. So, you know, unfortunately, people need to be shown a mirror. And I don't mean that in an intrusive way. It's just we all humans need to improve and grow, right? Sometimes you need to see the facts, the feedback, right? So that was, yeah, that was definitely very important and interesting. But at the same time, what we learned with the culture fit, actually the most powerful tool probably to check culture fit is actually doing personality tests. I know it's going to the basics, but it's so hard to determine someone's personality in a 30-minute conversation or an hour conversation. And what, can, it, what tool are you using in the platform? Um, so we've created our own personality test. So it's <laughs> of course like, you have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have to, right? Uh, okay, Myers-Briggs is good. Like, don't, I, don't get me wrong, and there's like loads of other tools, but ours is really a mix of you know using those. But we find that's very effective because you know, you're hoping it's unbiased information you're gathering because you know, when you're interviewing, we all have like happy ears, right? We're all like, oh, no, that, they, they are perfect or they are good or they're not nobody likes to interview well actually sadly i do quite like to interview so no, you're, but you're good at it <laughs> uh i don't i you know so if a can if a client says to me look we're hiring somebody senior can you be part of the panel i'm like I've, I've got my hand up every time but most people don't want to interview ever again so they want to hire they're, they're like I, I see you i want to hire you because then i can move on with the rest of my life right and it's Holy. you're right that happy ears thing you know unbelievable it's just um look i think interviews is something that we all can get better at and do you interview do you tend to get people to interview in pairs or are you are you doing that one person doing the interview and people signing off on the video yeah so we can do both like so generally like i prefer one-to-one interviews i feel like the data shows that's better but obviously on the assessment day when they're doing a presentation or something which is for the group then have more people and is it only for remote or can you use the tool if you're doing it face-to-face yeah you can do it face-to-face as well okay. on the technology you'll pick up different voices um so yeah but whichever route you do it's great but i just feel collecting the insights and data that you'll get some really magical information and the big challenge we have as well in business is that you know sometimes it's interview a that's like blocking all these candidates and they're actually good candidates or they're turning them off and you're trying to figure out okay how do i give this person feedback to change it because you know something's wrong at the same time the hard challenge is you're not in the room so you're not flying the room to even know what they're doing so that especially like let's look at some departments like engineering right engineering are so um, analytical they're great at what they do but sometimes on the interviews they're very like black or white and you don't know how they're communicating because they've got a unique communication style generally engineers right might be doing some bias here but generally you know (laughs) there is like they've got a different style to interviews quite black or white but you don't know what's happened then suddenly you like you know i've had so many of our clients are going hey like i sent it to person a and they keep on saying no to every single candidate and we can't understand why. And then later on, we put a recording in and we found out that they just spoke all the way through or um, they were so brash and they turned off the candidate. So sometimes having a technology like this does like help. I'm not here to pitch screen lip, honestly, but I'm just no, no, no. Adding, I mean, um, insights. Yeah, yeah. 
I just think we're having an interesting conversation about where hiring goes wrong. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. One of the things I see all the time, because look, you've built this because it solves a challenge for you. I'm talking to you because I know that it's a challenge for lots of the people I work with. One of the other things, it's maybe it's the, so sometimes people are great employees, but not very good interviewers. Sometimes they're not A players, right? So, you know, like the number of times we do a talent assessment with a client and we look at the existing team and we go, is this leader, hiring manager, are they an A player, right? And because if they're not, they're just not going to be able to, you know, so one of the things I was thinking is that, you know, here's a great candidate, oh, hiring manager won't hire them. I mean, sometimes it's competence of the hiring manager is the they don't want to hire people better than themselves or people better than their existing team. Totally. Yeah. That's why, look, uh, as much as we sometimes um, may dislike some of the large companies, like think of the Amazons, the Facebooks, the Googles, right? But they do do a few things really right, which is helped them right so amazon for example they've got a special squad of people who are literally what you call the super a players right and they have to give sign off to a hire so they've you know they've created this squad right um, i can't remember the name of them right what there is a name for this but squad, they're, but they're the people who raise the cultural bar yes yeah the bar raisers that's what it's called they're called the bar raisers right and essentially they are known to be like the elite of like amazon and they have to, one of those folks has to approve the hire for it to go through and they will be the ultimate test. So therefore the bar will always be high. So they've got posts like that. And then, you know, what else is fascinating? And it's true though, but like, if you look at all, again, the Facebooks, the Googles, the Amazons, they've got a very structured approach, right? In how they do it. Like they have to ask a certain questions. They have to, like, it's all structured. It's all fair. Um, and they spend a lot of time making sure that it is very structured and it's the right questions. Whereas I think a lot of companies, the regular company just like flings a few questions over the side and goes, yep, you know, might work, may not. Whereas if you look at these big companies, they are very, very structured to the point where like, I don't like it. It's too disciplined and structured, but I know that's also what you need to be successful. So you got to find a happy middle. There's, you're the guy that doesn't like the detail. It's they didn't build a system for you to be happy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. So yeah, I mean, I was in a corporate job. I couldn't, I couldn't do these interviews. Like they'd give me this piece of paper. I'd be like, oh man, I'd just go, yeah, I'll pass it to the side. I'll just throw it to the side and, you know, go, go for my own unique way. But then I realized it's the balance of the two, which is the magic. So we've talked about two of the challenges of starting and scaling a business. We talked a bit about lead gen and we've talked a bit about hiring. What else do you, in startup studio, I guess you've got your, here's our checklist, great founders. You've had a eureka moment sitting in the lounge all day. Here's a problem to solve. Funding you're fixing. What else have you got that you think these are the other things that create a great startup? Mm. I think, you know, this is a very classic one, right? But just really being absolutely clear of what this business is going to look like in, let's say, 10, 20 years time. I feel a lot of people start their business and they've got the first one, two, three years nailed out. But I think having that future direction is very important and that one's really really hard to do like i think people underestimate it right i know people may read books like simon senek and go start with the why and like they, it's fantastic but it's crazy like so i've now done probably 40 angel investments and when i sit down with these founders is i always find it fascinating when i ask them like you know what are you really really trying to do and they can answer it to the like they can answer it to like the first degree and maybe the second degree but when i really push them quite far and go like but why like why is this really good why is this really really important they struggle. And the reason why is, and it goes back to that same analogy of like, how, like, can they stretch themselves and like sit in that fire and work out really where this is going? Because 
what you'll find in a startup on any business is that you will come to so many moments where you just want to quit. Like I don't, and I know they say quitting's bad and, and it is bad, but like you can't help it. There's moments where it's just so difficult or you just lose sight. Why are you doing this? Whether you are the owner, or if you're an employee, I guarantee people have gone through that moment multiple times. And usually the main reason is, is because they're just questioning why they're doing it, right? Why are they doing this? Why are they putting themselves through it, right? Like life is short. Why, what's the point? And a big part of it is that they just, you know, the founders or the people right at the start just haven't really thought it fully through. I find like that is, it's such an obvious thing, but I feel people just go, oh, you have a vision, but it's not, you have to be able to paint it quite clearly. And that's why, you know, the greats like the Walt Disney's and the Steve Jobs, that's why they were so good. Cause they could literally, when they spoke, you could visualize that vision so clearly and it was so enriching and powerful. I think you're absolutely right. And in fact, whether you're a startup or whether it's a corporate, you know, I find myself from time to time coaching the CEO's likely successor, right? And so it's like, okay, what part of the job that you haven't got yet are you going to really hate, mm. right? And, and what's your vision for the business? Because if you haven't got it, you're not going to be able to pull you through yourself through it when it's really shit. Mm. And I've been walk, working with a, the, the founder of a company called GrowPro that takes people from South America and helps them get into university in Australia and Canada. Oh, wow. So they've got this thing. They're going to change the lives of a million people. And they've already done 18,000. And, you know, they've been through some tough times in the last six months, you know. So he's, the founder's moved back in with his parents. He's working like 18 hours a day. Then he's gone to Sydney to get the sales team back on its feet. And, you know, if it wasn't for that, his absolute desire, I mean, not once has he said, I'd like to earn money, right? Mm. He feels as though if he gives in, it's the difference between the 18,000 people they've already helped and the million people he hopes to help that he's letting them down. And it just and he just picks himself up and throws himself back at it. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I think it's so hard, though. But don't get me wrong, it's like, it's super, I think people underestimate how hard it is to do it really well. There's like levels to it. And I just think most people, let's say it's five levels, most people hit two, maybe three, like hardly anyone hits level five, because you need a really, really deep, creative, you know, I, like I, I know there's sometimes some connotations to, word, to use the word like spiritual, but they just, they, they're able to work out what the real meaning of all of this is. And so what's, uh, with Screenloop, What's the purpose of Screenloop? Like, why does it exist? Yeah, so for the, the, honestly, the main premise of it was to create equality in hiring. Like, that's the real deep reason I feel right now people aren't given a fair chance. There is a lot of bias. So I feel what our technology is doing is ensuring the right person gets a job in a fair, structured way. But at the same time, we're providing um, feedback and insights to interviewers to learn about themselves because... Interviewing is fascinating. If you really do spend some time doing introspection, you'll start figuring out and understanding where you've got insecurities. Because, you know, we're us humans, unfortunately, we're, we, we love some things and we hate certain things, right? And actually, the things that we hate, we hate them because we may see something that we used to have maybe that we don't like. It all comes back to us. So, for example, you might not like someone, you know, maybe not answering the question properly, right? In an interview. But I bet you any money, they don't like it because something's happened to them in their life. Maybe they've had a bad experience hiring someone who didn't answer the question or their parents never answered the question or um, there's something deep down in them that there's a reason why they hate it. And that bit's really fascinating as well. And we can then provide insights on that. So, uh, you know, <laughs> this is my, my bigger dream on this is that, you know, we are making 
um, everyone just we're increasing the awareness for everyone and I think in interviews you learn so much about yourself and about others and I feel like our technology could make a big impact on that. When you were talking there, I was struck by, I think it was the New York Philharmonic Orchestra just didn't have enough females. And so they started doing blind interviewing. So people would play the instrument and they wouldn't know whether they were male or female. And so they just picked the best musician and they ended up with many more females. And, and so one of those biases though, is that male, female bias? And, you know, if I'm, t- if, if you're turning up on the video, is there, is there, a, are there things that you can help people do to overcome the bias? I mean, do you help the candidates? So fascinating. Overcome or set them, set themselves up for more, to be more successful. Now you see, now, now I'm not thinking about the platform. I'm thinking about what you might be thinking the platform could do in the future, I guess. So the male female relationships, really interesting. So we crunch a lot of data on that. What we found was. Um, and it's really sad, by the way, what I'm about to say, but we found that men cut women off a lot more than, I guess, men. So when a man is interviewing a woman, they will cut them off repeatedly, repeatedly. And, and we've seen it on our data. They give them less chance to speak. You can see right at the start, they sometimes try to, maybe it's their alpha masculine masculinity. They, they talk a lot at the start, more than to another guy. So, yeah, there's certain data points that we've realized and we've picked up on it. And this is also quite, you know, we're in a world where everyone's a bit sensitive as well. Um, Yes, we're becoming more aware of all of this, but this is where sometimes you need like a neutral technology to give that feedback to a guy. Because, yeah, you go into like certain businesses and you've got a guy in charge and literally you look off the left hand side and you see his team. There's literally 20 dudes, right? <laughs> you, can't, you, can't, you can't make it more bait than that. The facts are the facts. This person just enjoys or prefers hiring guys. So, But then when you then look at the interviews and then you provide that person feedback going, hey, look, in your interviews, this is what's happening. And this is the technology. It's not me saying this as the recruiter or the person in charge. Like it does help. But yeah, there is a lot of bias and it's really sad. It's really, really sad. Yeah, I was talking to a founder on the podcast uh, a few months ago and, and I said, how's your diversity? And he said, Dom, we hire software developers. Mm. We get 20% of us at the CVs are for female software developers. We try really, really hard to hire them, mm. but so does everybody else because everybody else, you know, it's just sometimes there's just a dearth of talent, but how nice if you can say, we're going to try really hard to hire the best candidate. And as you say, you get some neutral technology, giving people feedback. Is it, do you get the feedback, like feedback in real time or is it as an after report? So you can get both. So you, so you can get some feedback in real time. Um, but if you want some real deeper insights, you'll get it after. And then we also track it over a period of time to show if you're getting better. Ah, okay. So like anything, interviewing is another skill. So one of the other things is that, so I've hired people. Do you then say they worked out? Yes. Yeah. So we then back it out and we now track it to them being an employee and we see. Um, so then we match the information that happened in the interview to them when they've been hired and we start working out different like insights on, hey, look, we found out this person A is actually really, really good um, that we've hired. Now, what did we do in, in the interview A that helped us? Or what skills or attributes does person A have now that we know that we should now ask in the interview? So there's a lot of like feedback loops that you can you can get. And if you've got kill- other killer questions? Um, as in what questions to ask? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's something else that we can provide. So because now we've ran things like, maybe a hundred thousand odd interviews like we've now know what questions to ask for that role 
But that's also something else that people struggle with. And I still struggle, right? Let's say I'm interviewing a HR person, right? I've, yes, I've hired a few of them, but like, what are the best questions to ask? Like, what are they? I don't know. Do you know what we? I mean, that we started with purpose, and then we've got back to we've got back to interview. That's my that. But you see, you see, I, that, because when we were talking about purpose, I was or and and BHAG, big hairy audacious goal, that sort of ten year. Where will we be? I was thinking about Jim Collins, and whenever I reread any of his stuff, it's just he's maniacal about talent. Mm. And I just think if you are, if every single employee you hire is somebody that six months, twelve months from now you would enthusiastically rehire, like just. I mean, are we with we were the client recently, and we got to the end of two days, and we'd come up with a whole lot of stuff that we needed to fix. And the CEO just sort of sighed and looked at the the stuff we needed to work on, and he looked at his team and he looked at the talent assessment on the wall, and he went, "How much of this would we not need to do if all of our people were great?" There was just this deadly silence, and they all looked at each other, and everybody went, "None of it." <laughs> just go, okay, hire better people hire better people 100 percent. like i can tell you right now with like, the data i've had in um, building companies or um, investing companies like the companies that have got great leaders and great founders like the amount of time i have to spend on them is like probably one tenth versus the ones that you know where you've not hired someone good and you know people can relate to that as well like if you go to any business whenever i'm running a team like i find i'm always spending like let's say there's three cohorts of people you've got a with the superstars right you've got b who are good they get on with it and they're good and then the c is the one oh i'm not sure about these you find that you spend most of your time on c right and maybe some in b and you don't spend much time on a and it should be completely the yeah, other yeah, way I around know, i know i know but, but what i find fascinating is i think people have now come around to it right so they're like okay number c, group c let's try to make them work if not let's just unfortunately they need to find another role right then you've got a's who are your superstars i think people are now realizing okay i need to give more love it's actually b who i've realized is getting forgotten now because that's your, let's say, you know, your zero to ten percent, your top ten percent performers. You are looking after them because you are giving them some attention. You appreciate them. You know, let's say your bottom fifty percent or your bottom thirty percent. You're worried about them, and you're you're spending a lot of your time on them. But I find the ones between ten and twenty five percent who are your potential superstars. Those are the people that are getting forgotten. I think that's something that all businesses. I'm hoping because when I learned that piece, that really helped me a lot. Because that ten to twenty five percent is the ones that actually could be superstars, but because you're not giving them enough love. You've forgotten about them. They're the ones that will actually potentially leave, and they're the ones that I'm more concerned about for everyone that's listening. Jay, what is it you know now that you wish you'd known earlier? Oh, that's a that's a good question. I feel like the number one thing for me, and I think we briefly talked about it, was like listening. All we do, you know, the main one of the main activities us humans will do is we communicate to one another, right? It's one probably the most beautiful gift we've been given is to be able to communicate to. Um, each other and what I'm learning more and more is yes you can be a great storyteller and a great communicator and engaging but you know I feel like one of the most powerful skills is being a good listener and I'm gonna be absolutely honest I don't feel I was a very good listener for a lot of my life and I'd say probably in the last few years I've learned to become much better and what I learned on that was, and I read, I did so much reading. I went crazy. I was like, why, why, like people say, like, why are people not good at listening? Because it was obvious, like they weren't answering the question or they were just, you know, golf on one. And I'm like, hey, this is not good listening skills. So what I learned was that the best way to listen is actually not with your ears. It's with your eyes and with your heart. And that's like, I don't know, when I first read it, I was like, huh, what's going on? Like, I thought, you, you know, everyone says, you know, hey, Jay, you got two ears. Like, you know, 
and one mouth. So listen with your ears. But actually, listening with your ears is actually not the right way. You're supposed to be in the moment. And to be in the moment, what you have to do is actually create some space with someone and really look into their eyes. And you looking like it's by looking in their eyes and also feeling the energy from their heart. That is really the true art of listening because you're really trying to feel that emotion. It's not the words, it's the emotion, it's the energy that they're feeling. And it's really hard to do because the way our mind works is that once you say something and, you know, like right now people are listening, they're listening to the words, but what they should be listening to is that space. It's the, it's that gap between the words. It's, you know, the tone of my voice, the energy, and that's what's more important than the words I'm saying. And that, I don't know, when I first heard it, I was like, wow, I've been listening wrong this whole time. Um, so that's something that has definitely changed me. And, you know, everyone says I'll be in the present moment, but what they're really saying is like, be in the moment so you can feel that energy um, from the other person, because that's actually more important than the words. Very good. You got some books to recommend, maybe from that journey or anything else? Yeah, um, I've got a few books. I've been listening to your podcast. So I knew this question was coming. So I am, I say I'll give you my ultimate favorite ones, uh, ones that have changed my life the most. Um, I, I really love Eckhart Tolle on New Earth. Um, that one is beautiful. It's a very deep um, spiritual book. And the reason why I feel that's important is because us leaders, I think we all know what to do from a job perspective or work. We generally know, but you know, how do we do it in a very loving, kind way? Um, it's really important, I think. A New Earth gives you some new ways of thinking. I love The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. I think his book's also fantastic. Conscious Capitalism by John Mackey, who's the founder of Whole Foods. I'd say those three books are great. And I'm a huge, huge fan of Joe Dispenza, his work. So he's, um, his work is really around um, changing your frequency to attract what you want, but also do it in a way where everyone wins in life. So yeah, these are probably people that have massively inspired me along my journey. Jay, that is absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much indeed for coming on today. Yeah, it was a good chat. I felt it was just a good, it felt like you and me were just having a chat in the pub in the bar, so it was very <laughs> relaxed. Um, but yeah, no, thank you so much for spending time with me today. And um, I'd also love your feedback on my podcast. I, your, I listen to your podcast. It'd be great if um, I love learning and improving. So if you can give me um, any insights and feedback, because I'm early in my journey, that'd be awesome. I'll do that. Thank you so much, Dom. Cheers. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd be kind enough to leave a review, it will really help other like-minded entrepreneurs find this podcast and grow our community. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find some cracking show notes, additional reading and links relating to our guest. There you can also find my blog and past episodes of my subjectively not crap newsletter, where I'll update you on the best articles I read that week, some recommended books and other podcasts. Thanks, and I will see you next week.